We are water. We are sustained by water. Do not think that we might not have water, especially if we keep going at this rate. And let's get serious about climate change. We've got to stop the argument. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. This is all of our issues. We need to work together. We need to be informed. We need to be prepared. And there are solutions to these issues. And we, as a consumer, cannot take anything for granted anymore. And I do believe that we, the people, have an absolute obligation to ourselves, to our family, to our communities, to make it our job to find out and be informed and to act and to find your own courage and not be afraid to step up and get involved. That's Aaron Brockovich, and this is episode 547 of the Ritual Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. For those of you who listen to my podcast with Greg Renfrew, the founder and CEO of Beauty Counter, you're already aware that there's about 40,000 chemicals that currently find their way into a litany of consumer products, less than 1% of which have been tested for human safety. Many of these chemicals are toxic and more often than most suspect, even show up in our drinking water. How is this possible? Shouldn't clean water be a fundamental right? Well, these are fair and important questions. Unfortunately, regulatory bodies like the EPA don't always do what we expect them to. And science is all too often manipulated by companies that put profit over public health. Therefore, industry pollution continues unsupervised and the laws we do have in place remain unenforced. To better understand all of this, I sat down with the one, the only, Aaron Brockovich, one of, if not the most famous names in environmental activism. In the odd event that you've never before heard of this incredible woman, Ms. Brockovich is best known as the legal file clerk who battled PG&E over polluted water in the town of Hinkley, California. And that case resulted in the largest settlement ever paid in a direct action lawsuit in US history. It's a story that ended up on the big screen, garnered Julia Roberts an Oscar for her portrayal of Aaron under the direction of Steven Soderbergh, one of cinema's greatest filmmakers. And it turned the name Aaron Brockovich into not only a household name, but a verb. Unfortunately, America's waters didn't cease to be polluted after the closing credits of the film. In fact, they've only gotten worse, a fact that should leave all of us deeply concerned and motivated to act. Aaron is here to walk us through this quagmire and how we can be part of much needed change. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break 
a performance. And I can tell you, after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem. A problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life and recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. Okay, back to Aaron. So post Hinckley and that crazy, incredible case, Aaron would go on to build this incredible career as a key player in 
many, many additional high profile cases, which generally involved battling gigantic corporate entities over environmental pollution and other sundry matters of public safety malfeasance. Her main takeaway, which is both the subject of her new book, Superman's Not Coming, and the focus of today's conversation is that we simply just can't rely on corporations or the government to protect us, to do the right thing. And instead, it really is on us. But that this realization, which is admittedly a little bit upsetting, is ultimately and actually empowering. This like beautiful call to citizen activism to forge the better world that we deserve. I'm still kind of in shock that I actually met this amazing, powerful woman. She's just awesome, full of energy and enthusiasm, everything you'd expect and more. And today, predictably, Aaron brings the heat. This is a brutally honest conversation about how agencies are putting profits over citizen health, how mismanagement and unregulated chemicals in our tap water are not only making us sick, but also destroying the environment. It's an overview of outdated policies perpetuating this pollution cycle in the first place and the evil overlord level deception that is happening in the corporations and government bodies that we blindly trust. Furthermore, it's a conversation about the regulatory landscape of clean water and how what most consider a human right has become politicized and weaponized. It's about how the EPA has failed us, why there is still such a strong influx of toxic chemicals in so many municipal water supplies, how you can become educated about your own water supply and what you can do in the event of an issue. We also talk about Erin's upbringing, her struggles with dyslexia, and the experiences and mentors that led her to uphold an extraordinary amount of perseverance over the course of her life. Not to mention what it was like battling PG&E in the case that brought her to fame and the vital work she has done since. I think you're gonna find Erin's unbridled optimism and energy a warm welcome from the <laughs> apocalyptic doom that we're all kind of confronting right now. She is a real, pistol and a reminder and an example of the indelible influence of the individual to create positive change and awaken a movement. It was a true honor to talk to somebody I deeply admired and respected from afar for many, many years. And it's with that that I give you the mighty, the whip smart, the imposing force of nature that is Aaron Brockovich. All right, Aaron Brockovich is in the house. I am thrilled. I'm so excited. Thank you for doing this. Oh my gosh, I'm really glad to be here. I don't think I knew we were such close neighbors. I didn't know that either. I would have had you on forever ago had I known oh my you gosh. lived like down the street from me. Yeah, literally down. And you've the been street. here forever. And, and forever, that, I know. God, I'm getting dated. Well, I also I didn't go. know that forever. that that Masri's office was in Thousand Oaks. Yes, I know Corsa Avenue. So after uh, the movie came out, he came out that way and bought the building. Uh-huh. And, you know, Ed has since passed on. They've now right. sold the building. Mm -hmm. So the whole firm and all of that is gone. But no, we're locals. I mean, Ed used to be mayor. I didn't know that. Yes. There's so much to learn. 
I was she, talking. He, I was, he th- was with Claudia de la Pena. I believe that uh-huh. she's been mayor. I mean, so he started the whole save the open space. And oh my gosh. Wow. Ed was the original. Yeah. He, he passed on a couple of years ago. Yeah. Ed died in 2005. Mm-hmm. What a loss. It was a great guy. Yeah. I was with him when he died. I was holding his hand and his wife and son were there and. Um, you know, Ed had a huge heart, smart guy, mm-hmm. um, just always jumped in to help. He, I'm missing yeah. every day. I can imagine. I mean, what a story. It's just, it's incredible. He was the best um, friend I think I've really ever had. Yeah. I mean, the two of you together and what you were able to create and set in motion is so epic. I wish he was here today to see yeah. everything. I mean, you know, Ed Ed could always make a joke. He was fun. Uh, he'd make you laugh. He could be lighthearted but serious. He just was optimistic. He wasn't worried things would always turn out. Mm-hmm. And I could just share stories with you for days. Mm. The movie made him seem pretty crusty. Oh, Is that accurate? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, he had an extremely dry sense of humor. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, he he always made fun of himself. I mean, oftentimes, you know, he'd show up in his slippers and and we'd be at a, a you know, a community town hall and he'd say, you know, my mom may not have birthed the most handsome, but, you know, she he would always make some joke about himself. That's self-deprecating. So, yeah. Yeah. Which uh-huh. was, was fun. Cool. So, yeah, he was, you know, he could, you know. I think he definitely always got a kick out of me because mm, I, I can would often challenge him. Yeah, well, I mean, he'd never seen anything like you before. <laughs> I'm like, that's what for the sure. f, Ed? He's like, <laughs> what? Who talks to me that way? Yeah. So, I was talking to my friend Osher Gunsberg, who interviewed you in Australia last year. I don't know if oh, you remember. I do. And I went Absolutely. and listened to that. Absolutely, he's the best. He is, you know, and I love Australia. Yeah, it's the best. I, I spent the whole month of December there oh this my past gosh. year. Where'd you go? It. Um, in, uh, in Bondi and then yep. Byron Bay. Yep. Most oh, Byron Bay yeah. is the best. I was ready. I was ready to stay. Byron on the Byron is, yeah. I have been- but You us- do a lot of stuff there. You're, you the go time. there a lot, right? I was supposed to be there right now. Mm. I cry because I'm not there. I really do enjoy the country. I enjoy the people. I've been all over. To this day, when I get my hands on a koala, I sob like a baby. Mm. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But the people are wonderful. They are. And um, I do remember that interview very much. He's a pro. He he's is a, a pro. pro. <laughs> but what he did at the beginning of the interview, I'm sure you remember, he put water in front of you that was tap water, right? And he's like, oh my God. Some. And so I brought water out, but this is this is purified water. It's uh-huh. all good. It's safe. <laughs> I think it's safe. I don't know. You know, you uh, be the judge, I suppose. Well, you know, it's interesting we even start up that way. I've I've decided every single day, you know, my book is out, Superman's Not Coming. Mm-hmm. I have a copy for you in the car. Oh, thank you. And, I've been listening to it on audio. I'm really enjoying oh, it. Oh, have you? Yeah, oh, yeah. my gosh. I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really have like an ego. I'm, I'll come into a situation and I'm usually like, okay, I'm not sure. Let me check, you know, check this out. Uh, doing my audio for my book, piece of cake. Yeah. Uh, no. Wow. There was days after I got done doing the audio on that book and working on pronunciations. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing when you read it and you say it in your head. Then when you say it out loud, they're like, oh, you have the, no, you made an S, a T. You got to get that right. Do the pronunciation again. I almost thought, am I illiterate? What am I talking about? I'm like, my eyes were frying out of my head. I didn't like the sound of my voice. It's exhausting. I've done yes. it myself and you get it all gets up in your head and then you're like, why can't I talk? 
Right. You know, yeah. I've been saying perfluorooctanoic acid forever. And he goes, but actually you've been pronouncing it wrong. I'm like, what? I was uh-huh. like, there's no way. So I'm glad you're listening to it on Yeah, audio. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. And I love the title, Superman's Not Coming. I mean, it's it encapsulates kind of your whole thing, which is this idea that everything's kind of apocalyptic and no one's coming to help us. And yet also hopeful that in this destruction, we can find a way to be self-empowered. And those two ideas kind of crashing into each other really kind of defines your whole path and your whole career. It has. And you know, going back to the water here uh, that you brought in, which, you know, it's always that uh-huh. moment somebody brings you're looking you looking at like, skeptically. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I, yeah, you know, fortunately, I always brought my own little drink uh-huh. down there, but um, water's kind of a metaphor because we are water. And what I've learned in these communities is once you know water and understand water and have that connection with the environment again, you actually find yourself. And I do think because there's been such crisis with water, we've actually moved away from this and we've in a way lost ourselves. And I think we're waking up mm-hmm. again and finding ourselves and finding our voice and things that do matter, like the water, like the air, like the environment, like our health. And I don't know if for a long time we got comfortable or we bought the illusion Mm. or we took things for granted or we just got complacent. But what gives me hope is the fact that I think we're waking up to a lot of issues that have existed for a long time and it's just spilling over. It's devastating the more that you learn about how so much is mishandled and bungled by these institutions, these regulatory bodies, these corporations in which we invest some level of public trust to take care of us. Like maybe Superman's not coming, but shouldn't you know the government of one of the most powerful, uh, prosperous nations on earth make sure that we have clean drinking water and to discover that that is very much not the case is incredibly disheartening. Like it's, and it's scary. And I think to read that now in this heightened moment that we're all experiencing, it's even more disappointing given that we're seeing kind of structures failing all over the place or public distrust and structures um, starting to kind of increase. Like it's not just water. We're looking oh, with, a, with a keener water. eye at all kinds of institutions at the moment. and there is a public groundswell of not just distrust, but also activism that we're seeing. So I guess in that you can glean the sliver of hope. Absolutely. You know, the distrust has been there for a long time. I'm a foot soldier, you know, so to put this, I don't know, in some context, I began my work in Hinckley. I just turned 31. I'm now 60 with four grandchildren. (laughs) And the idea that when I did Hinckley, everyone thought that was a one-off And I have found out it's the entire U.S., if not global, our groundwater issues, our contamination. And through that process, I've learned where the system failed, whether it was designed to fail, whether it just got, you know, hijacked, if you will. Uh, There's all kinds of ways to move information around. Uh, the politics that get involved. I've been the bearer of bad news to many communities. But we do share with you in the book and we show these communities that when the people know, and oftentimes they don't for a lot of reasons, because there's an assumption that an agency, a city council, 
a state, a water board, a municipality, federal oversight, something's got your back Mm -hmm. that it's been missing because they're always going, how did we get here? And in the book, we share with you communities that take the information, knowledge is power. I will tell you, 10 times out of 10, it's a pissed off mom. Mm -hmm. And they do great things. They make it their business. They make it their job. They get involved. They inform their neighbors. They become one and then five and then 10 and then 50 and then 100 and then 200. They get into city council right in their own backyard. Yeah. And they they affect change, whether they get let out of the water, whether they run for office, they win, they get referendums on the ballots. Uh, Hannibal, Missouri is a perfect example. They had let as bad as Flint. But the moms fixed that problem, and they ran for city council, mm-hmm. and they won. Those yeah, and they got things, let out of the water. It's it's an amazing did. story. It, it, what is it about everywhere. moms? It's, is it that like protective instinct that they have where they're keenly aware sense of when something's not right and yeah. and their willingness to speak up about it? Like Absolutely. why moms? You know, I've watched, it's amazing. Like I'll never forget when uh, my daughter Elizabeth who lives here in Thousand Oaks and has three kids, she was a little girl and our dog Gabriella had puppies. And oh, Elizabeth, you know, got to be involved. But as soon as all the puppies were born, she went back in. Gabriella snarled and snapped at her. And she's like, what is that? And I said, that's mama bear. You know, these are this yeah. is her turf now <laughs> and protection. That that uh-huh. that sense kicks in. I watched the same thing happen with Elizabeth when she had her children. And we we have a very protective nature, especially, you know, we feel hard, we love hard, we nurture hard, we're mothers, we're protective. And they oftentimes activate when their child or a family member or a friend's of a friend's child is harmed and they worry about um, what will happen to their health or mm-hmm. they have cancer or a disease or they make the association or they find out it was water or an air contamination or a medical device gone bad. They rally and they do it strong and they follow through. They are they don't let things go. So if they're in it, they're gonna be in it mm. to finish it. Mm-hmm. So moms are great. Yeah. When you look at what's going on in Hinkley now, like Hinkley still has problems, right? With their water. Hinkley's gone. So the town has disappeared. Everybody left, right? But they still haven't really cleaned it up. No, they're under about a hundred year cleanup order. God. PG&E is the worst example of a company that I've monitored and been against for 20 years. And they could be doing things differently. And we see this. I think there's a big breakup, breakout moment right now where our policies and our infrastructures and our laws are outdated. Think about this. And we're still working on that. It's not going to take us forward. And PG&E has been a perfect example from Hinkley, where I started, to the Kettleman case. Both of these communities settled between 333 and $335 million. Defense costs, you're looking 50, 100 million on each. Mm-hmm. Cleanup costs on their corporate books for the next 100 years, hundreds of millions of dollars. We're talking $2 billion right there. And you just follow them up the line, and their infrastructure is so distraught and under such stress that they never take profits in reinvesting in infrastructure, safety, and people first. They want to do the money first, they want to do it cheap, and they want to be deceptive. Now they blow up 
San Bruno. I mean, my gosh, let's mm-hmm. talk another mm-hmm. 50 million on their books. Um, we all saw what happened to Paradise. Mm-hmm. I was involved yeah. up there. The Northern California fires, all because a company over a 20-year period doesn't want to reinvest in its safety, infrastructure, and people, period. Had they done that the first time, we wouldn't have had Hinckley. We wouldn't have had Kettleman. We wouldn't have had a San Bruno. We wouldn't have had those fires. We wouldn't have lost the lives we did and destroyed the environment had they just done the right thing. We really need to relook at some of our business models because we do things ass backwards. And that model won't sustain us in well, the future. Right. I mean, capitalism is set up for that. Like the corporation can't be relied upon to look out for the public welfare. It's concerned with its quarterly PL and the stock price and all of that. So they're going to make those kinds of decisions. And that's why we have regulatory bodies and we have laws. Yeah, so walk yeah. me through why the EPA and our kind of legislative landscape has failed to become the adequate safety net that we need to protect us. Well, kind of what you just said, you know, somebody asked me once, you know, who fails more agencies or companies? I don't know. I don't think they sleep in the same bed. And yeah. well, we got for, Scott Pruitt right now. Yeah, for right. for a whole host of reasons, they are the money matters more, and the agencies succumb to that. Mm. And information is concealed. Um, you don't always have the right people getting the right information, and they put it in a box. It's forgotten about. One thing I do see going on is a lot of suppression, a lot of bullying, a lot of labeling, a lot of fear. Uh, you didn't see that, unsee it. You're going to lose your job, gets thrown in a box. And there's a good way to play the shell game to kind of move the data mm-hmm. around. Listen, you know, PG&E on those, those fires, it took, uh, I believe it was the Wall Street Journal, dug up documents. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have this amazing freedom of information and most people don't know how to access it. Found a document filed with the state the PG&E knew 18,000 miles of their transmission lines mm. were going to fail. Uh, how'd that get overlooked? Was it deliberate or did somebody throw it in a box and didn't know what mm-hmm. it meant? Mm-hmm. And so we need to have the right people in the right jobs looking for the right information and how we stop the the bullying and, and the suppression out of fear. You know, listen, whistleblowers come to me all the time. And they they come to me because they're terrified they're going to lose their job if they say anything and they Mm -hmm. know something. So they're desperate to get information out. Mm -hmm. This isn't something that just started yesterday, though. I mean, it boggles my mind. I began my work in 1992 and it's 2020. We're still talking about it, yeah. only it's is it any Is it any worse. better or is it it's worse, right? It is absolutely yeah. worse because we just keep kicking the can down the road and we You've got to have the right politician that's going to really stand up or our leadership to a cause or issue. But oftentimes they rely on someone else. And then the company gets involved. And PG&E has a huge role to play here in the state of California. And I think our government, our leadership here, has allowed them to run as a monopoly mm-hmm. and get away with what they have. So we have to find better ways for our leadership that don't succumb to the pressure of a big company, politics, campaigns, finances, and all that gets convoluted for the sake of money. And then the issue at hand, I don't know, goes away. 
I mean, it seems like we've got to reform the lobbying laws to prevent the influx of money that influences these politicians. We've got to prevent the kind of shuffleboard game of people going game. back and forth between high-ranking government positions and CEO jobs at these companies because it just becomes an old boys network where they're scratching each other's backs and the public is lost in the sacrifice. Meanwhile, science is bought and paid for, it's manipulated to serve you know, a certain narrative and we suffer and without people mm -hmm. like you, we're lost and it shouldn't be that way. Well, there's, here's again where I see the hope. It is very daunting. But we, the people, have always been absent from, from the equation because... Trust. Trust is gone. And what I do see in communities, this happened to me. I, I'm too familiar with this, so I recognize it pretty quickly. Um, I have dyslexia. So very young in my life, I was teased and bullied and labeled and judged and put into a box my mom always taught me just because you're different doesn't mean you're inferior. Mm -hmm. And quickly in my life, uh, you know, I was labeled or judged or perceived even in the film because of the way I dressed mm -hmm. or walked and this assumption, this girl can't possibly have a brain. And I get into communities in Hinkley and this is why they don't speak up or speak out because they think, and a lot of us do, that if you're not a scientist, you can't understand science. And if you're not a doctor... You certainly couldn't dare speak about the illness of your child and possibly be right, mm -hmm. or because you're a mom, or because your socioeconomic factors are different, or because of racism, which is existent out there in the environment, that there's this idea, you're not the best educated, maybe you don't know, you're a mom, therefore you shouldn't say anything. And we hear that and we're like, oh, you know what, maybe, yeah, you're right. I, and we just kind of pull back. Mm -hmm. That happened to me my whole life. I recognized it, and I pushed out of the box in the beginning of that. And every community I go into, it is the exact same thing. They have already tried to reach a politician. They've already tried to write to the company. They've already tried to talk to a neighbor. And it's the same thing. I don't know about right. that. I doubt it's the water. That's a conspiracy theory. Our government wouldn't do that to us. You're going to damage our property values. So there's a whole mechanism that goes on. And it's been going on and 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 on. And I think this is where we are today. Mm. That wake-up call where we've been deceived we're clearly getting indication we have. We're really upset. Um, we've gone through COVID. We were locked up. I'm not sure that it gave everyone that moment to really start looking because we're always so busy. What the hell's going on? And while it is awful right now, I've learned you have to go through that clash to slice through the shit. If I'm allowed to say that on your show. Yeah, you can say um, whatever you want. Hopefully I didn't drop an yeah. F-bomb. <laughs> no. Um, to see it, we can't fix our problems if we don't see it and we don't act and respond to it. I'm not in favor of all the the violence. I, I'm not. The tearing down buildings, burning. It's, I'm not. But this is a result of decades of distrust, disrespect, not listening to the people, labeling them and judging them and putting them over here and hoping you go away and casting the situation aside like we're all a bunch of idiots. And I just think it's mm. boiled to a head. Yeah. The pressure valve, it just yep. it just had to explode. Like this is a natural you know, progression of what's been going on for a long time. I could tell you I see it out in the communities. 
Well, I know that when you go into these communities, at least initially, perhaps not today, but the response is, who are you? You're not a scientist, you're not a lawyer. What are you doing here? Your opinion holds no sway or merit, go away, right? And it was only by um, dint of sheer perseverance. Like when I think of, I mean, the book, the, the title of the book is like Superman's not coming, but if you have some like superhero qualities, it's like this incredible, um, perseverance, you know, like a dog with a bone, you're not gonna let it go no matter what. You have uh, incredible people skills, which I wanna talk about. I used to be a corporate lawyer, so I know, <laughs> you know the, like the blind spots that a lot of lawyers have when it comes to actually trying to get things done in a community. Um, and also something that I think is tremendously overlooked, you talked about dyslexia and your learning disability, but you also have a photographic memory. Right? That's because of my dyslexia. Is that you? Ha did you have to train that in you, or did you always have that? Like I the movie, the movie. You get these great speeches in the movie where you get a glimpse of this, but it's never like sort of expressly acknowledged or addressed. I've always had it. You know, my mom used to always say when I was a little girl, and my mom was a journalist and a sociology major, school teacher, well-educated. My dad, well-educated, a mechanical engineer, graduated from KU. He ran the pipelines mm -hmm. for Citigroup. Yeah, so water started at the very beginning. For at you. the very beginning mm -hmm. for me. And mom was like, you cannot beat this girl at a game of go fish. You can't. And, you know, dyslexia was really misdiagnosed back then and, and we still have issues with it today but my mom it always intrigued me uh, as a sociology major and a journalist she knew immediately something was different but that if my self-esteem was lost I'd be doomed mm -hmm. she knew she had a fight to get me through the school system and she was the first one that told me you got to have stick to which is still my favorite word today which it, is actually in the dictionary it is Noun, propensity right. to follow through in a determined manner, dogged <laughs> persistence born of obligation and stubbornness. I'm like, wow, that's all you had to uh -huh. say to me, mom. And I truly became the little engine that could. I think I can, I think I can, I know I can, I know I can. Mm. I don't know where this idea started that we have to fit in this nice little neat box. And oftentimes education can be a standard of conformity. And so I was different. Yeah, and then I needed to go mold. into special ed and I didn't fit in. And my mom taught me just because you're different doesn't mean you're inferior. And I utilized that stick to and I kept finding different ways to work with something. One thing I did find out is I was fun and I could make friends and I liked people. Um, and that was a way to cover up for what I felt was my inadequacies. Mm -hmm. One person that really helped me was my high school teacher, Kathy Borseth. She saw the same thing. But instead of pigeonholing me and saying and immediately labeling me, not knowing what was wrong, but seeing that I was different, she pulled me aside one day. She said, you intrigue me. I said, why is that? She goes, because... I know you know everything in class. I know you hear me. You're the first one with your hand up, but I give you a test and you failed. Now I can read well and good, but how I code is very differently. Uh -huh. And that coding is what helped me figure out Hinkley and everything else that I'm doing yeah. in my environmental work. And she said, what's up? I said, I don't know, dyslexia, something like that. She didn't miss a beat. She goes, hmm, interesting. She said, so let me ask you a question. If I give you this test right now, are you going to pass it? I'm like, 
yeah. Uh-huh. She goes, I'm going to scramble everything up. I'm like, be my guest. She did. She goes, oh my God, you didn't miss one question. You got an A+. She said, I'm going to do this for you. Every test, every pop quiz, every semester, every final. Mm. She gave it to me orally. What she did, not only for my GPA, but my self-esteem was everything. And there is such, in every community I go to, starting in Hinkley, there is a mom there. There is that persistent person, but she's pushed back. You're crazy. You're not this. You're not that. Go away. So when I went out to Hinkley, I'm like, I have been here before, if not my whole life. And this perfect storm was brewing. And I found some courage because I remember standing there looking at a two-headed frog and green water. And somebody from PG&E said, oh, that's the standard. And I was like, bullshit. I started to own what I saw. And oftentimes we don't own what we know because you get that voice in your head. And then we just go away. I see it everywhere. But when you get in there, I'm like, I'm you, you're me. I mean, we've experienced this. I'm not afraid to be vulnerable. I'm not afraid to tell you I don't know. Those people ask me questions and I go, fuck if I know, let's get the lawyers on the phone. They're like, oh my God, I'm so glad you said that because I didn't want to be the first one to say Uh I didn't know. And to be real, and I'm not perfect, but I code differently. Most dyslexics do. So what had happened for me in Hinkley where we had a big breakthrough was a report written by Environment and Ecology. It's dated 1992, one paragraph. It stated that 1992, the monitoring wells still had 5 ppm hex chrome in them. Now, I had already learned enough about hex chrome to know that that was a hazardous waste level. That's a lot of Mm freaking chrome. And that 90% of the chromate had already been removed via agricultural and domestic use. I immediately went, oh my God, it's 1992. It's still 5 ppm. If 90%'s been removed via the people, what was the number in 82? What was it in 72? I go backwards. That's where I code and calculate. And guess what? PG&E knew in 1958 that chromium-6 hit the aquifer at 58 ppm Mm. that number changes everything especially on dose response ratio and exposure and what would have happened to those people and that's how i think that's how i could but forever it was different and i was perceived as a special needs child because of that yeah it all goes back to that teacher giving you that Kathy Borseth, that, that my confidence. mom. That's beautiful. So and that when, that mother, you know, uh, I do share this story um, because it's important to what we're talking about. I, my own daughter um, and my first granddaughter's special needs, and she has a manual syndrome. Mm-hmm. And Elizabeth was told, and I was there. Most of them, it's very rare. Walk, talk, thrive, to survive, and. I saw Beth. She said, hell no. I saw that mother, that person, that instinct, that love, that compassion, that moment of courage, and I've got this, and we can do it. And I'll tell you what, today, Grace is walking, talking, thriving. I watched her right out here in Thousand Oaks at your Special Olympics on her 100-yard dash, and I could cry. Oh, wow. Um, She did it, and that was from her mom, her mom believing in her, 
and pushing her, even when it was hard. Um, and here she is today. She's the apple of my eye. And we, we can overcome. But I think we forget so much about how we can overcome. And it isn't just book smart. It's compassion. It's trust. It's stick to It's feeling. It's okay to be different. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to be imperfect because none of us are yeah. perfect. And somehow when we embrace, embrace that... And we just have a sigh of relief. It gives you a space to believe in yourself and actually love yourself and um, go out there and give it a really fucking good try. Was that the grandchild that kind of catalyzed you to come back? Because you've, you've been doing this for a long time, but you've stepped back a little bit, I guess, for a while, but now you're back in full force. Was she, she was part of the- Absolutely. Yeah, I was there when she was born. Reinvigorated you. She did. Because I just like- oh no, I'm so reinvigorated again. And and what is the world going to look like for them? I think we all question that mm. right now. And uh, I'm in that fight. And again, as a mom and a grandma, and oftentimes that instincts, that intuition, I'm, I'm in it for the long haul. And, you know, oftentimes the other side, whoever they may be, you know, I spend a lot of time thinking, who are you and where are you that's out there that we think is either against us or is going to fix this. But I'm in it for the long haul. That's stick to As my mom said, life will require that you have stick to You may not be born with it, but it's developing the habit of persevering, even when you don't want to, and it would be easier to give up. So when you're first working with Masri and you're carrying around this doggedness, this stick to <laughs> but your life up to that point had been a lot of, you know, banging your head against the wall and not really making your way in the manner in which maybe you envisioned for yourself. When you get that file and you see that paperwork about medical records stuck in this essentially a real estate deal, huh? do you have a conscious sense of like, there's an opportunity here for me? Like what what was your awareness level? Like that stuck out, but you were a file clerk. It wasn't your job to go investigate at that point, but there was something that clicked in you that said, I need to know more. Like here, I'm gonna go on a, a journey with this. Curiosity. I was smart enough to read the medical reports and because they were done in a bar graft, so it didn't take a rocket scientist uh-huh. to figure out what the hell, well, T-cells, what are those? I looked it up. So white counts, what does that mean? Looked it up. All of this stuff was off the chart, and mom kicked in, and curiosity kicked in, and I'm like, what if that was my child? I'd be worried, and that's what kicked me off, mm. was just my own, oh my gosh, this is weird. I'm curious, why would this be happening? What's wrong with the children? What would I do if I saw blood work like this on my kid? That's where I went. Yeah. In the movie, the, that woman is played by Mark Helgenberger, right? Yeah. Like she, but she, is she a stand-in for a variety of people or based on a real person? Because in the book- Roberta. In the book, she was more up to speed and more suspicious and knew more. Like it, it, it plays in the movie like she's less- suspecting of what's happening. Well, if you remember in the movie when Julia first meets her, it's Roberta Walker. And she she knew enough because she was already asking questions. That's uh-huh. why I was there. And right. and you see her connect the dots in the conversation. And 
She goes, my God, the water, the kids, the pool. Roberta was right. already there. Well, she looks out and her kids are swimming right. in the pool at the and, time. And that's how I got involved, beginning with Roberta's persistence. And like I told mm-hmm. you, in every community, there's a Roberta Walker. Yeah. There's an Aaron Brockovich. Oh, they're there. Yeah. And then when they joined forces, we started really getting some stuff done. I still talk to Roberta all the time. I was just on text with her the other day. She's amazing. And she's one of those moms. And she was done with the bullshit. And she'd been pushed through enough. And, you know, we talk about in the book, when people come to me, like even Roberta, when she first came to the law firm, in a way, they're looking for permission, if you will, to act. And what they really need is support. Mm -hmm. And when I showed up, and I'm like, oh, hell yeah, no, I wouldn't deal with this. If this was my kids, I mean, it starts there. The support starts there. And this is something that was really well thought out to keep covered up. Yeah. And so the community, they didn't know who to listen to. And then once we got together... It's amazing what happens because nobody ever wants to be the first to say it. And we don't wake up every day and ask our neighbor, did little Johnny get diagnosed with colitis? And have you been having chronic nosebleeds and weight loss? We don't do that. Mm -hmm. And once we started getting Roberta come to the firm, I go out there, Roberta and I together, and then calling another mom and another mom, very quickly we became a bigger group. And I talk about that in the book, Logic common sense, leverage. People think leverage is a bad thing. No, it's not. That's getting to know your neighbor. The minute we started leveraging ourselves with the community, PG&E ignored us with one and five and 10. But when we came 50, 200, 500, 600, they're like going, uh, what's going on right here? And that creates an environment where a whistleblower might feel more inclined to disclose what he or she knows. I mean, in the movie, the Fisher Stevens character, like short of getting, you know, his documents, it would have been a different story, right? So you need need the groundswell, but you also need those people on the inside who might be willing to share with you something that you're not going to be able to find otherwise. Well, you do. And you're absolutely right. And Roberta Walker had already been to the water board and she had made a note on one of her notes. And I'm like, what's this CR6? And she said, oh, there was chromium-6. So she was already on it. So when I went into the waterboard, that's when I started seeing the documents, uh-huh. like the one I just right. shared with you. So oftentimes, documents are there. Uh, on the intake, somebody may or may not know what they are and files them. And they're never discovered again. Or somebody clearly will make a reference, put this over here, don't bring it out again. So there's a whole lot of factors that happen. And there is a whistleblower. They will make a phone call. You've got to go find a document. And in a lot of these communities, now they'll come to me and we'll go in with some documents. I can see when the light bulb comes on and I'm like, yes, okay, this community is ready to roll. Now we're going to go over here because they will catch on. And they're usually pissed. And I actually hope if people read the book when they close it, you get mad too and realize that you too can do exactly the women of Tonganoxie, Kansas. They ran Tyson out on a rail. The women of Hannibal, Missouri, they ran for office and won. My gosh, in Flint, Michigan right now, we have the youngest uh, gentleman on city council, 19 years old. Do not think for one minute, just because you don't have a PhD or you're a stay-at-home mom or you're a, a cocktail waitress somewhere or you're working as a you know a law clerk that everyone thinks because you have stilettos on and blonde hair and big boobs, you're stupid. We shouldn't be underestimating people. You can do this. Find your cause, whatever it may be, and it may not be water. 
You need the tips, the strategy, and the tools to fight. Learn them and game on. And yeah. you can do it. And I'm telling you, the first step you take and you you get just a little bit of that win or you're like, oh my gosh, I understand this. Or oh my gosh, I got such and such a neighbor to talk to me. And you see it, it's contagious. And the momentum builds. It's very empowering that you can fix or change a law or get involved or get noticed or get on a Superfund site or get information to a doctor and see what's happening. Change in your own backyard. I love it. We do that. It's so exciting. We the people. I think <laughs> we the people have forgotten to believe in we the people. Also, what you've done, which I think is really cool, it's one thing for, you know, you, you always say like there's a million Aaron Brockoviches. Yes, there are to some extent, but there's only one of you. And you're on the receiving end of, you know, I'm sure tens of thousands of emails from moms and all kinds of people saying mm -hmm. this is what's going on. How do you scale that advocacy? And you created this website where you're essentially crowdsourcing all of these complaints and ideas and putting them on a map and, and you know, allowing people to kind of see where these things are going on and it creates these patterns. And I think that fuels like people's um, sense of empowerment in terms of what they can get done. Well, I believe most all of us are really visual and we can't always see the big picture. And that's why I started Community Health Book, which is under construction right now. Right, We're I went to it, it was like I was in beta, but it was up, but now it's like being retooled or something. It, it Yes, it was, it's always been up, but we've, First of all, the person that I was partners with in D.C. has has moved on, so I've pulled it back. But now we're – I envision the map as ways, and we don't have a place to report, and that's something that's important, mm -hmm. um, and how Community Health Book began. So I was just doing it myself. Again, I'm visual, and I like to see things, but I also remember things. So I would go through my emails, and there would be an email from a woman in Illinois, let's say, and she was concerned about a report on her water, but what was really concerning her was a disease her child had, and she was concerned that another child in her child's school had the same disease. Okay. That's in here in my head. And then a week later, another email would come in, and I'd go, didn't I see this email last week? So I'd run a query well, unbeknownst to me, not one mother had contacted me, but five or six from the same town, same problem. Oh, all right. I'm. You know what? I think that's odd. Yeah. I just think that's odd. So I started putting it on a map. And one day I looked over and there was like 350 dots. I'm like, what the hell? And was it, did I read it? Initially, it kind of lined up where, with where these Superfund sites were. Oh, absolutely. An yeah. overlay. So that whole Northeast right. quadrant lights up. And it matched identical, the Superfund sites. So it started telling me, all right, water, environment, Superfund sites. And see, we never come back and check on the health and the welfare of communities. So what had happened was I was up speaking to Senator Boxer and her environmental working group, um, and I presented the map. She was like, wait a minute, what is that? And she's like, why would we not know that? And I'm like, well, I think people try to report, but for a lot of reasons, I don't know. If information doesn't get stuck in someone's mind, it's yeah. in mine, so I created the map. Why, why wouldn't the EPA create that? For them, for everybody. Well, here is why, and this is <laughs> this is this is usually mind blowing for people. So I was testifying with a young boy by the name of Trevor Schaefer. Mm -hmm. 
And Trevor is a young boy that had a brain tumor from Boise, Idaho, and numerous of his friends did. He was really the only one to survive. He vowed that he would do something about it in his life. So he was up there speaking. The reason we were there is there was a reform to the Toxic Substance Control Act happening, which hadn't been reformed since Frank Lawton. I mean, it mm-hmm. had gone a long time. When that was reformed, President Obama put in that toxic, the, the Toxic Substance Control Act a law called Trevor's Law that requires the agencies to build a national disease registry database because we don't have one. So Florida, Kansas, Tennessee, every state has a cancer disease registry, but they can't share that into a national database because mm, of HIPAA. HIPAA. Yeah. So we can't find or see people who've migrated away, report back, is it a super fun site, and we missed the whole picture. Mm. So that's what really took Community Health Book off. And I visualize it as ways if there's no national registry database, where is a place that people can report to? I am down here in Padre Island, Texas, which just happened, and the platform just blew. How can I report that? And if everybody had a place to report, you would visually see what I do. Mm-hmm. It's like, right. whoa, hello, this isn't just Hinkley. This is happening everywhere. We can't have a solution to a problem if we don't see where the problem is. And this map helps you see. Right. How did water, clean access to clean water, which is a humanitarian thing, should be a fundamental right of every human being, become a political football? How did this thing become so politicized? Power, money, privatization of water. God, my God. My dad, he used to sing these songs to me all the time. You know, see this water today trickling down the stream. Enjoy it because tomorrow it might not be seen. He promised me in my lifetime water would become a commodity, more valuable than gold or oil. And I think there's a lot of movement around on water rights, buying water rights, companies like Nestle, power, um, money. And it's becoming more and more valuable and those that can control it and own it and make the money off of it dominate. And those of us that rely on it as everyday citizens that we've always thought as this country began and it's what made us so great was our infrastructure and our water and our municipalities. They take the cheap route. They abuse funds and bonding and they don't use it for what they should and it gets covered up and somebody doesn't want to get fired and somebody doesn't want to rat somebody out and money, greed. Then it becomes a social stratification thing, lower income communities, very much short shrift on this whole thing and then you end up with Flint. Absolutely. And, you know, Hannibal was on track to be Flint uh, for a different reason. We've got to take a look at our municipalities. And the moms came in. Yes. And Flint, before so Flint why became... Was, why, what, is, why did Flint become so fraught? Um, you know, when, it's one thing in Hinkley when we learned a big corporate utility lies to you and 
you know, can go to bed at night not worrying if somebody died from their poison because they buy their own shit that it can't hurt you. Um, that was one lesson for us. Flint was another because the agencies all the way up to the governor knew. I think about this. Ed, somebody that I trusted, if for years he knew that what I was doing was poisoning me and never said anything, this is a sock in the people's gut. And it, it, it takes a while for you to go, what the hell? Mm. So in Flint, they switched river water, which you can't do. Water's amazing. There is no two bodies of water anywhere on the planet the same. Isn't that amazing? Mm. It's like an individual fingerprint like we are. You can't just add chemicals, take them out, switch river waters without a crisis. And when they switched river water, they were on Detroit and they went to Flint. It's much more corrosive water, different pH. And when they ran it through the system, it caused all the lead in the lead pipes to, to precipitate leach. out. Yeah. So I got an email from one of the moms a year before you even knew about Flint or anyone. I happened to be in Australia. And so I can read between the lines. It's, uh, I don't know. People will tell you I'm psychic or weird that way. I don't, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you just have to understand people uh -huh. sometimes. What are you saying to me? And I'm not afraid to go, what are you saying to me? But I was like, uh, this is odd. Uh, no. So I sent it to the water expert that I work with, Robert Bocock. And he emailed me back and he goes, I'm going there tomorrow. Mm. So he went there tomorrow. He's a water master. He knew what was getting ready to happen. That municipality did everything they weren't supposed to do. This was a perfect storm brewing. And all through the agencies, it got covered up. Because they all knew. They all had some level of culpability. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, there's been grand juries and the Department of Health, uh, people going to jail. And I think that is one thing that maybe we should start looking at. When you start mucking around like that with your municipality and lead or a chemical that's going to harm children or a future generation or kill somebody and you have knowledge, I don't know. Does $600 million lawsuit bother them? Probably not. Is PG&E been phased by the billions? Probably not. But where I think they do get phased, maybe you should sit in jail mm. for 20 years mm -hmm. and bring it home to them because somehow they become disconnected. And I don't know why somebody wouldn't say anything, but it was those moms and Dr. Mona. See, they started picking it out together. And it's, you know, in high school, when you write a thesis or paper and you're just staring at the blank page because like how do I even begin but when you get the first sentence or paragraph out you just kind of like roll so when the first mom reaches out to me and I'm like mm, I'm out of the country this got to get to Bob right away who has his own set of instincts that gets to Flint that permission becomes support when the support comes it's easier for another mother to go, oh, I'm so relieved, you too. And then another, you too. And then they start collecting information. Dr. Mona is the doctor. So that's that's what happens is the collective is suddenly shook up and they get together and these stories hit the media. They become national news. And let me tell you what, there's we've got 200 other lead, lead oh my God. You know, we didn't learn anything in Hinckley. We haven't learned anything from Flint. They did an amazing job. Yes, there's a settlement. 
But the problem still isn't solved. It That's was happening in Hannibal. Thing. It's happening right. in New Jersey. This is happening right now in a town outside of Albany, the capital of New York. We're getting ready to put up on Twitter. Every day I'm going to be tweeting another city, another town, another water crisis. I don't care. I'll do it till I die. That has a lead contaminant. What are we missing here? And- that's what. That's what's so hard to get. And you're somebody who's sat across from these people. You sat across from CEOs, board members, uh, you know, government officials from the federal level to the municipal level. There is this idea, I think, that these are mustache twirling evil people. But I'm sure in their own minds, they don't think of themselves as doing anything wrong. Like, what is going? What is going on in that culture? Is it the is it sort of the dissemination the 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 distribution of responsibility across many many people that allows people to sleep at night or why can't they shoulder that responsibility and fix these problems so that they don't that's what's hard to gra- to grasp as just a a citizen of the public. Well, um, we could look at Hinckley. Uh, that's a company for the sake of money that's getting ready to freaking get caught and we've been poisoning people and they're gonna do everything they can to hide that. Flint. But once you've seen these things and you know these lawsuits are coming and Aaron Brockovich is out there gunning for you, can't they, how can, why, why can't they clean house and be a little bit more forward thinking to prevent these Flint egos, type situations from happening? I think egos play a huge role in here. That, you know, it's a one-time thing. I'm not going to get caught. Catch me if you can. Um, A lot of gaslighting goes on. Honestly, it does. I know we're talking about these days, but taking the minute someone pushes on me now in a community to not look into information, I immediately know you're hiding something. Right. (laughs) And now I'm on it. Uh What are you hiding from me? Uh Um, But I think egos play a role. And you're right. Sometimes, you know, I could... Here's where we're at. I could blame a whole lot of people for everything that's going on. Where the fuck is that going to get us? At some point, I'm going to stop and go, you know, I don't I don't know. Listen, the problem is here. Now, how are we going to fix this? PG&E may be at that place now with a new board, and they're out a third of their company in the recent fires. Uh, the government of Flynn is clearly, I think, once we see them and they're in that hot seat, puts them in a different position. Yeah. This is why I say what we the people can do about it. We the people have to make it our business and our job to hold their feet to the fire, to hold them accountable, to stay on a situation. Because oftentimes they bank that we are simply just going to go away. And I think that tide is clearly changing. And in all fairness... Sometimes city council members don't know what's going on if we don't say something. And, and have you ever been to city council meeting? Right. No, this is one of the things you talk about all the time. Like it's easy to show up at these meetings. There's nothing going on. Right. right? Yeah. I'll never forget in um, Carson City, California, mm-hmm. where the carousel track is. Shell Oil and their tank farm had been linking for years. And all that crude and benzene was literally like Beverly Hillbillies seeping up in their backyard. Benzene, people with cancer, kids sick with leukemia. I mean, this was a a lawsuit. And what we decided to do, because nobody would initiate cleanup orders. It's like, what the? So I think people on the city council are believing... The Department of Health 
and state records that they're aware of this, they're going to do this, they're going to do that. So here's that shell game around. So all this disinformation Uh is coming around. So we decided to go to the city council. And Bob Bocock was behind this, and it was so effective. He got a couple of city bus, you know, school buses together, and he bussed in city members, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. So at the end of the city council meeting, they were all outside, but the city council didn't know it. They said, you know, we're ready to adjourn. And they can't adjourn until the last person's been heard. So Bob said, there's some people here that would like to come in and talk about the carousel track. (laughs) They filled up the entire chamber. And what we did was we gave them each a stuffed animal guinea pig. And each child and each family member who had lost someone from cancer wrote on a piece of paper what had happened to them and did a safety pin onto the guinea pig and set it in the middle of the chambers. Mm. It was unbelievable. Can't ignore that. And when they were done, there must have been a pile six feet wide by four feet deep of stuffed guinea pigs listening to these stories. And I will tell you, those city council members weren't that good of actors and actresses. They actually had no idea and no clue what the hell Mm. was happening to those people. We need to show up. That's a very powerful example. Yeah. And it's not letting them off the hook, meaning the city council, but they truly didn't know. And how could they? They don't read our minds until we show up. And understand that they don't, like, we just believe that they have our back, that they're fully abreast of all these problems and they'll take care of it. And Superman's not coming. That's our wake up call. You know, it's my Wizard of Oz theory. Everybody that works with me, I'll tell you, oh, she's not so, she's all under her Wizard of Oz thing. (laughs) (laughs) But I can't help myself. I'm from Kansas. And Wizard of Oz was one of my favorite shows. But I'm not talking about the film. I'm talking about the book, Wizard of Oz, and why L. Frank Baum wrote that book, which became the film at the pre-height of the Industrial Revolution. And he wrote The Wizard of Oz as a way to teach his children the power of individualism and thinking for one's self in a world that would increasingly begin to speak for you. Mm -hmm. Way back when. That intrigues me. Now, the book has a lot of political allegories. You can go look it up on Google. And so Dorothy is a representation of... The girl next door, all of us, all of us girls in America on a journey searching for, you know what, our life and our meaning. And as you know, the story, she goes out and the tornado comes. But in the political allegory that's been really studied by a lot of scholars and L. Frank's bomb's meaning of telling a story through a children's fairy tale, the twister represented disruption in D.C. So when... Dorothy gets picked up in the tornado and lands on the munchkins. They are the mass citizens mm. who are pissed. And they tell her, follow the yellow brick road. Go down that yellow brick road and find the wizard who will save us, who represents sitting president. Yeah. So off she goes on her journey. And the yellow brick road is a representation of the gold standard. And in that time, there was a fight between the silver and the gold. So her oh, slippers that. in the wow. movie were really supposed to be silver. 
So it's follow the yellow brick road, the path of money. Mm. So she meets the tin man and the tin man is a representation of the industry worker who's lost his heart. Sound familiar? Wow. The scarecrow is a representation of the American farmer who everyone thinks he has no brain because the banks are buying up all of his land. Look at our farmers today. And the cowardly lion is a representation of L. Frank Baum's best friend, William Bryan's Jenning, always running as a populist for president, but never won because he had no courage. So this is a representation of the American people, the girl next door, the politician, the farmer, and the industry worker. So off they go on the yellow brick road until they meet the wicked Only witch. To discover, yeah. Who doesn't want them to find out what's going on. So they got put to sleep in the poppy fields. I wonder if that's where we've been. Mm. And I wonder if we're waking up and I'm wondering if we're discovering exactly what they did. There is no wizard. Right. The emperor has no clothes. Correct. And they finally figure and we, it all out. I didn't know that story. That's uh-huh, look it up on Google. It's a wow. great political allegory. But we the people, we've forgotten we had a heart and the brain. And the courage. And I'm banking on us. We're going to find our way back. Mm. So the movie comes out. You become a household name like almost overnight. I mean, have you ever thought like (laughs) what would have happened if – like if the movie had been called something else, I know. like the chromium <laughs> syndrome or something like that, like it might have altered your life in a very different way. Absolutely would have. I did not, <laughs> you were so right. And I was terrified. So it was finally the night of the rap party and everyone for the law firm is there. And, uh, you know, this is still overwhelming for me. I don't know that I'll ever really get it. At some point I've let it go and I don't know. Well, it's the craziest thing because not only was a movie made about your life where the title of the movie is your name, it's made with like the finest talent in Hollywood, like the best people across the board. Well, two stories. So when the whole thing came out from the get-go, Carla Schomburg at Jersey Films, you know, said Mm -hmm. egos can really mess people up. and. She didn't know enough to know about me, but a lot of people when they're like, you know, someone's going to make a movie about you, we get kind of like, you know, listen, this is pretty cool. She'd always say, we do this all the time, and more often than not, they'd ever get made. Right. Cool. So I went about my business. Ed and I used to have conversations, and he'd say, if, this, if they really make this, Aaron, who do you think should play you? I was like, I, Ed, I can't go there. I don't know. Uh-huh. Ed and I spent endless hours together in a car. We drove up and down this state and all over. Endless hours. I'm talking 12, 14 hours a day working. And um, he'd say, oh, you know, come on. And I'm like, "Mm, Goldie Hawn, somebody fun. I happen to be a little zany and a little fun. Most people don't know that about me. You know Goldie Hawn. Fun. Fun, zany, cute, laughs, you know, silly. Mm -hmm. I can really be like that. You have to really know me to see that part of my personality. Other than that, I'm a little bit guarded. Um, But Ed goes, "Mm, no. He says, I was thinking maybe somebody like Roseanne Barr. And I'm like, ha ha, Ed. <laughs> and <laughs> I go, ha ha, Ed. He goes, all kidding aside, I wouldn't care who gets the part as long as it's not Julia Roberts. I go, Are you kidding me? I go, First of all, it's never going to be Julia Roberts. She never please Ed. So, what was his beef with Julia Roberts? He didn't think her mouth was foul enough. 
and her boobs weren't big enough. Mm-hmm. And he just didn't think as an actress that she would be right for the part. Uh-huh. So the day I got a phone call from Steven Soderbergh and he said, we've cast the role. I mean, my heart was beating. I'm like, and he goes, it's Julia Roberts. I'm like, yes, yes. I mean, uh-huh. I could not wait to call Ed, which I did because I was at home uh-huh. and he, he got on and I said, so they've cast the role. He goes, who is it? And I just went, neener, neener, neener. He goes, no. And then he stopped and he goes, okay, I tell me to cast Tom Cruise to play right. me. And I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> and so, going in a different direction. But when it happened and at the wrap and everything that was going on, everyone asked me, what are they going to call the film? So I'd only, because I was the one that spent a, write, a year with the writer. The writer was in Hinkley. The writer was mm-hmm. at the meetings. The writer was doing Susanna all Grant, of that. Right? Susanna Grant, yeah. she's amazing. Yeah, I met her a long time ago, but... One of my favorite people yeah, on this planet. She's an impressive woman. She is a very impressive woman. Um, everyone said, what are they going to call the film? Well, I knew the title was Aaron Brockovich. I just said, I don't know. The title is Aaron Brockovich. They're like, this stupid name for a movie. Uh-huh. So they said, go ask Steven Soderbergh. So I went up and I asked him. I said, so what's the name of the film? And he just had this deadpan look. He's like, uh, duh, Aaron Brockovich. And I'm like, <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> No, Um, that's when I got uncomfortable. I got even more uncomfortable when I saw it for the first time and they actually had my maiden name in there and I'm like, oh. Mm. So um, at that point, people would know it was me and and I got nervous. Yeah, I mean, the spotlight couldn't couldn't be hotter. I got nervous. So and how it's, did that it's, how did that uh, play out? I mean, it, I'm sure it, it I'm sure it was overwhelming. It for still a while. is. Yeah. It's it still is, and I can't help myself. Um, I know people are always will ask me specific. What are you doing? What are you? It's just what I do, uh, and and there's things that come to me, and I'm. I don't know if I'm a radar for deception. I don't know if I'm a radar for reading between the lines. I don't know if that's because I'm a dyslexic. I've had to find a different way to figure something out. Not everything hits me. But when it comes to me, I'm like, whoa, no way in hell. And um, I really didn't know after Hinckley that I would be hit from all different directions, Mm -hmm. not only in the United States, but globally. Suddenly you become a target. Yeah, I don't know that that really phases me anymore. You know, even out in Hinkley, you used to always say, well, if you get killed like, you know, Silkwood, but we'll definitely know who did it. Yeah. I'm like, ah, what? <laughs> but now I don't I think better. that way. That shit only happens in the movies. Right. Well, let's talk a little bit about water. I mean, we've kind of been dancing around the the chromium-6 thing, but uh, for people that are listening who are maybe new to the idea that uh, their water might not be as clean as, as, as they believe it to be, what are the things that we should be worried about? What are these toxins? What are the worst ones? What can we... I mean, there's TCE, there's PFOS, there's PFAO, mm-hmm. chromium-6, lead, fracking chemicals, like all of mm-hmm. these different things. You know, we just turn on the tap and drink the water. Right. And never think about it. And that's the thing that is scary because, you know, these chemicals have been in our system and our aquifers and our environment for a very long time. And many chemicals have latency periods. Chrome 6 can be 20 years. I think that 
could be why we're seeing an explosion of illness right now because these latency periods are running. And there, and it's it's the clashes here. I think mm. science is catching up with policy. Latency periods are running, so you ask a great question. I will start with water one hundred and one. It's pretty easy. And Bob, you know, goes everywhere with me. Robert Bocock, he's uh-huh. a water master, engineer, the expert. There's nobody knows water better than him. And I, I understand when he gets to talking on the science because I see the whole audience glaze over, and I myself am thinking I'm going to have to throw water on my face. Yeah. Um, so we'll get in the car, and I'm like, Bob, this whole long, sorted explanation about organic matter. I'm like. You know, everybody in the room, organic matter, it's a science term. Like, I go, what the fuck is that? He goes, uh, dirt. And I'm like, why did you not say that? You know, it's like my mom teaching me about stick All you had to do was say stubborn. Oh, I get that. All you had to do is say dirt. Oh, I get that. I go, oh, so it's dirt and fish vomit and fish poo. He goes, yeah. So this is in our water. Rivers, bacteria, creeks, viruses. Bacteria, all of it. So when it comes into the municipalities, this is why we chlorinate water. What most people don't know is that organic matter and chlorination create a very toxic compound called trihalomethanes. Right there at that point is where everything begins. The Safe Drinking Water Act requires that you control your trihalomethanes because they're toxic. And if you don't, you have to put on the appropriate filtration system. That costs money and a lot of it. So here's one of our first problems. We throw ammonia into the system and we create chloramines. Chloramines cause a whole lot of issues. Now we're adding another chemical to the water. We don't need more chemicals. We need less chemicals. Ammonia renders chlorination less effective, which is why we're seeing more Legionnaire outbreaks. Mm. all over the country. Which is a bacteria. Absolutely. It's waterborne. Most people think Legionnaire is an airborne. It is not. It is a waterborne disease. CDC is contaminated with it right now because they didn't open their buildings safely again. And when you turn the water on, this is- Wait, the CDC has a Legionnaire's outbreak in their facility? Yeah, in their first building. We've been warning for months because of COVID and all the buildings are closed down and the stagnant water and you turn that system on, if you don't handle it right, you will have less effective chlorination, standing water, Legionnaire. And yes, it was in the paper, Wall Street, uh, New York Times posted on it a month ago. We're seeing them everywhere, everywhere. So ammonia causes chlorination to be less effective. We're seeing more Legionnaire. Ammonia also creates a thriving bacteria, it's candy, in the distribution system that can cause our infrastructure with lead to precipitate lead, iron, and manganese to fall out. Hence, Mm. we have more lead outbreaks. So the pipes just leach all of that into the water. And it further deteriorates a distribution system. So if we would just stop the use of ammonia, we'd have... Further, we would stop further deterioration of our already in great need of repair infrastructure. And we'd have less lead contamination and we'd have less Legionnaire. Now, talking about this one chemical, in the book, we talk about a water operator who is amazing up in Poughkeepsie, New York. He used the power of common sense. So he turned the ammonia feed on for the first time up there. 
And what had happened was he started to observe everybody was calling him. Did, what's the water? It's burning my skin. My eyes sting. Uh, I got like this scalp psoriasis. I have like these burns and my hair is falling out. Ammonia feed goes off, calls stop. Ammonia feed comes on, calls start. So he finally shut it down and they had massive distribution. And they spent millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars in repairing and replacing that distribution system. But the idea that he listened to what the consumer was saying, what are you up to, turned it off. See, he started to notice that pattern, uh-huh. on, illness, off, stopping. So ammonia is one issue called chloramines. That is a big problem in our municipality, which leads us to our lead problems. Chromium-6 is, <laughs> you know, I learned after the film, uh, Chromium-6 don't problems didn't only exist here. I was getting emails from 126 different countries and territories with Mm. lead contamination. Australia, France, Greece, South Africa, India, Italy. It's everywhere, which kind of made me think that's why this Chrome 6, there was such push not for this film to happen because this is a chemical a lot of industry has used. And you know why? It gets used in a lot of stuff and then it, it percolates through the ground into the into the water table. Mm-hmm. Is that the idea? And it's cheap. Yeah. It's cheap. Mm-hmm. Adding ammonia to the system is cheap. You want to cheat the system and you go cheap. It's a problem every single time. So we have Chrome 6 Environmental Working Group did a study, and that's in the book, Superman's Not Coming, where two-thirds of America's municipality systems have Chrome 6 in their water. 20 years later, we're still having a fight about it here in California where we had set the first ever maximum contaminant limit for chromium-6 in drinking water. Because guess what? We don't have one anywhere in this country. Right. 20 and years the, later, the, we still don't. The, the Safe Drinking Water Act doesn't define safe, right? No. just is <laughs> <laughs> like insane. Well, that's a, just right. because it's within a guideline doesn't, in fact, mean uh-huh. it's safe. Because chrome-6 here, California set the public health, the uh, MCL at 10 parts per billion the public health goal is 0.02 that's a huge difference yeah and the law requires that you get as close to the public health goal as possible but the reason we don't is feasibility studies and the the municipalities are like we don't have the money to do that okay so fine let's just do nothing so we've got ammonia chloramines and the chromium six it's not an additive like chlorine or ammonia to help clean the water it's coming from somewhere else and it's finding used its by way industry into the and there are very few locations they like to fall back now on the fact that it is naturally occurring and in some parts of the world in some places some of the mountains are producing that but i will tell you 95 percent of chrome six contamination is from industry mm-hmm. it's it it's a rust inhibitor it's an anti-corrosive they use it in tanneries that's why you see huge outbreaks mm. in italy right so the runoff from those facilities Aquifers, right. a runoff um it gets sucked up into the system you drink it you don't know it you don't see chrome six in water until it hits about 1 ppm and by then you're pretty fucked if you've been drinking that for a while. You you would have already known something was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd have stomach problems and, and 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 you would. It turns kind of a pea yellow. And from there it goes green. All the way up to about 24 ppm it starts to turn purple. Which the Aesop's River in Greece 
is so contaminated, a community from there called Onafita reached out to me. A third of their children have cancer. Long story short, a third. There's a town in Kalamazoo, Michigan, same scenario. Um, Mary Clark, another mom's on that one. All these are going to be in my book, my podcast. There is hope out there. Again, we the people. Right. And when we know, we act. But, but we're on the apocalyptic part right now. Keep going. <laughs> and we are, but with this everything we're talking about, I think, got us here. Yeah. It was about to boil over. And I've seen this in communities for a while. But in Onafita, Greece, they are at the end of the Aesop's River, and there's a huge waterfall, and their their wells are right there. I'm not kidding you. Wow. Look it up on Google Earth. It is so laced with chromium-6, the river and the waterfall runs purple. It blows That's my- crazy. So- Chrome sticks. Um, and the last one I'll, I'll talk about. So we're going to- uh, or the big, TCE? TCE. Oh, you don't want me to get started on no. TCE. I don't want to go too far afield here, but- um, yeah, I mean, But these... I will tell you about PFOS, and here's mm. what I want to tell you. Because it is the perfect chemical and the perfect example to share with you how the system works. That's the one that's in Scotchgard, right? PFOS is the firefighting foam. So 3M created- a group of chemicals, 3,000 different chemicals to create one family called the perfluorinated group. Within that, you have PFOA that you will know as Teflon. And that was the big fight Rob Blot had that resulted in the film Dark Waters and his Mm -hmm. book Exposed. He went after DuPont for 20 years because they knew. And one of the other chemicals in that family with PFOA is PFOS, which is fire fighting foam. That's what you would know it at. Scotch guard. That's why you went to Australia last year, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, because they have a big problem too. Um, They're a little ahead of us in some ways because some way they are at least dealing with it. We are literally shitting in our own mess kit. We keep polluting the water that we grow our food in. You've seen what's happened with glyphosate. We are eating and drinking these chemicals. We're in deep trouble. Like in Australia, you can't even eat the oysters anymore. You couldn't eat the cattle. So now we can't eat the oysters. We can't eat the fish. We can't eat the cattle. What are we really? (laughs) Okay. This is a problem. Here in the United States, some 20-some years ago, 3M did notify the EPA that this is a bad chemical Um, Our EPA even sent documents in the 90s to Australia. Better keep your eye on this one. You need to monitor this. Now, the big problem with this chemical is it's so persistent in the environment, you can can almost not remove it. So here's what the EPA does. Okay? We hear you. We will create a guideline for this chemical, 400 parts per trillion. Where the guideline came from? I don't know. Right. I don't think anyone knows. And the irony of of 3M reporting this to EPA instead of the other way around. Like there is this weird inversion of the burden of proof. We started this conversation with that. So who's in whose bed? So the EPA creates the guideline 400 parts per trillion. So they notify all municipalities, you can run this chemical through your system up to 400 parts per trillion. 
boom, life goes on. Oh, so EPA then commissions a study. We have to understand commissioning a study costs millions and millions of dollars for one chemical. We've got some 40,000 chemicals Mm -hmm. hitting the marketplace. So they commission a study to do the science. What does this chemical do in the environment and to people? Okay. I should not laugh. I'm laughing because it's so ridiculous. I can't even believe I'm having the conversation, but this is what's happening. And it's at this point, it's integrated into all these products everywhere. and being used everywhere. everywhere. Right. In the water, everywhere. Well, guess what happens? Oh, four years ago, science catches up with policy and the foam rings. Yeah, Houston, we have a problem. This chemical, uh, you're probably not going to get out of the environment, but it causes a lot of disease and cancer. What? <laughs> oh, my God. So the EPA is like, what? So, okay, well, 400 parts per trillion is probably too high. Let's reduce it to 70. Mm-hmm. So then they have to notify all the municipalities. you got to go down to 70 parts per trillion. What are they doing? What, are you kidding me? We don't have the budget to do that. How is it? Utils, we could run up to 400 parts per Now we're down to 70? Well, then they have to notify the consumer. Guess what the consumer does? They call me. Is this why we have testicular cancer? Is this why our sons in Switzerland being treated for this? Is this why I lost my daughter to thyroid cancer? Is this why my wife has cancer? Community after community after community after community, state after state. And I'm like, what an ass backwards way to do anything. So here's the thing. You get to put these chemicals into the environment first. And we'll find out down the line what the fuck it does to us. With no requirement on the upfront. No, I'm the EPA. You will give me a study of five to seven years to show me first what this does to the environment and people before I ever let you put it into the marketplace. Wow. That's insane. That's PFOS. It is the largest contaminant in our national water supply. And that's where we're in the history of this country right now. So I just put out. I think tomorrow on Twitter will be, um, we just posted on um, Facebook here in California. In Kern County, there's a a large aquifer and we have aquifers, they're banked, you know, and it's where Mm -hmm. we bank water and it's underground that we need. That the Los Angeles Municipal Water District can't bank that aquifer anymore because it's so polluted with chrome six and PFOS. That creates a very big problem for a city like LA in one of our aquifers that you can't access for water anymore. So crazy. And I know we get like overwhelmed, freaking fatigue. I'm with you, but I can, I can pass on a lot of fights. We are water. We are sustained by water. Do not think that we might not have water, especially if we keep going at this rate And let's get serious about climate change. And we talk about climate change in the book. And we talk about Johannesburg, South Africa, where they literally were going to have day zero. Yeah, that was day zero. here's what they did, what we're not doing, and where we can learn from. The people responded. The people were involved. The people rationed. They did what they had to do. The agencies responded. They became prepared. And they diverted day zero. We've got to get and stop the argument. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. This is all of our issues. We need to work together. We need to be informed. We need to be prepared. 
and we can divert. And there are solutions to these issues. The problem is we won't get busy doing them. And that's where we have to go. It's crazy that in 2020, there isn't a technologically innovative solution to this problem that doesn't involve these toxic chemicals. Like, isn't there a way to well, produce see. clean water for there the is. consumer without use of all of this? Eradicate I mean, does it, the, eradicate we have to the chemicals. We have to, you know, repipe everything though. We probably. do, and we are very well aware that we have that infrastructure issue. So we've managed to find trillions in COVID. You can find trillions yeah. to begin. Who's doing it right? What countries really have this dialed? You know, France doesn't use many chemicals. Europe does mm -hmm. well. Um, they France eradicate chemicals. France has the chemicals. public water everywhere in Paris, right? You can yeah. all, the, all the fountains are are drinkable. You know, they have they've protected their sources. Mm -hmm. They don't add more chemicals. I mean, the game is to not add chemicals. We continue to add more because um, we, we have so much pollution. They're eradicating chemicals. Europe has eradicated um, Chrome Six. Mm. We have it, but I will and tell you, and yes, so they are ahead of the curve on that because they get water, they get public health. I mean, and I don't know why, I, because I think our system is so corrupt and has so failed that everyone's busy trying to hide it and we've just slid further mm -hmm. down the road. Mm -hmm. And it's to the point where this isn't speculation, this is fact, and we've got our leadership's just got to stop the bickering and and I don't care anymore. None of it. Say it. Say it. Uh, we got a problem. We got a lot of chemicals. This is a solution we're going to have. First step, no more ammonia. Start eradicating these chemicals. The chemical lobbyists have a huge handle on what goes on. And so Europe does it pretty well. Australia, they definitely have some of our same problems, but they're dealing with it. We're not dealing with this. All the and it's time. so crazy because it's such a vast understatement to say that this is an important issue. It's the most important issue. Without clean water, there is nothing else. And that's why yeah, I say, I mean, we the people, yeah. make it your business. TCE, that's a bad situation, especially out in Camp Lejeune. But let me, before I go there, trichloroethylene, widely used, definitely in our water sources, aquifers, uh, we're sucking it up, rivers, creeks, tributaries, dumping. By way of example... In Minnesota, TCE has been widely used, and a community got involved because their water and wells were contaminated. Oh, they became their Aaron Brockovich, and they got the media involved. They stayed on this. I want to tell you, about three, four months ago, because of what they did, bringing this to light, educating the community, even educating the media, all the way to the governor, mm. they have banned the use of TCE. Boom. Mm. There's one step. That's not what the chemical lobbyists want. That affects their bottom dollar. That is companies in bed with our politician and these things aren't dealt with, but Minnesota did. That's what they do in Europe. In Australia, they're dealing with it. We just need to take that step and, and say, Houston, we have a problem. I've always said we are inherently great. The problem is we're not solution driven. It's here. I'm sorry, Tesla. Just send us back out to space. <laughs> Don't tell me right. that we can't find the money. And you know we can after the trillions and trillions of dollars we've seen just spent. Begin to address infrastructure, reduction of chemicals. I bet you if we would even do that 20 years into the future, 
we might see less disease in a healthier population. 100%. So if somebody's listening to this and this is all new to them and they've been drinking out of the tap forever and it doesn't smell bad and you know it doesn't it's it's not green and they haven't seen frogs with two heads, how can they get a little bit more educated about the health quality of their water. I mean, the water bill has like these, they do these studies every year, right? Like you can access that information. You're supposed to be getting a water quality report every quarter. Right, no one reads that. I don't know if I've ever read, read that. Read it. So perfect example. Um, you know, I've been on the book tour and mm -hmm. interviews talking to everybody. I'm here today. So a reporter did a piece about the book in Phoenix. And she said, what's one of the first things I can do? I said, get your water quality report and read it. You know, you know, it's like an insurance company policy. We have one. You don't read it until your right. house is burnt down. You're like, what the hell? Giveth, taketh away? What is this? Yeah. I mean, we have to take accountability and responsibility for getting involved and finding out ourselves. Don't rely on someone else. But if you're reading it, you have to know what you're looking if for. If you don't understand it, email me and we will tell you. And it's pretty easy. So this reporter called me and she's like, um, I got my water quality report and I have a bunch of Chrome 6 in my municipal water. Well, see, here again, we could get into guidelines, and they're following a guideline by the state at 50 parts per billion. But here in California, we know it can't be more than 10 parts mm. per billion. The science says it should be 0.02 parts per billion, and that because it's total Chrome, we forget that a third of that is hexavalent Chrome, so we have to speciate it out. So the number means nothing, and then if she not if she went to the environmental working group and saw all the numbers mm. that you shouldn't have around the country for Chrome six in your drinking water. She exceeded that. And she said, so you say in the book that when, by the time you get these reports, they're already three months outdated. I said, yeah, that's their lag time. She goes, so I've been drinking this Chrome six for three months. I'm like, yeah. And she didn't even know it. We can't just assume I've learned this in 20 years or longer in the field, racking my brain to read and understand and comprehend this. We can't assume mm. that our Department of Health, our state officials, our city council, our federal government, or any one of our leaders has your fucking right. back. Yeah, my instinct is we don't just need an effective EPA. We should create a new regulatory body just for water, just for drinking water. We should. With like a, you know, the, 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 with the barren of, of clean water. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And uh, why we don't. And, you know, listen, we use chemicals and all these issues in our water. We need what's called level five water operators. They, they're basically <laughs> understand chemistry. Uh -huh. In this country, we're lucky if we have 10 of them out there and we have 80,000 municipalities. So we have people who don't know chemistry and how to run the water at the helm. Mm. And we talked about that in the beginning. Do we have the appropriate personnel on a front line for certain issues? Right. And is that how things are falling through the crack? And do we not pay for level five water operators because they cost money? So if you suddenly got the call out of the blue uh, from the president who said, okay, you're up, you're going to run the EPA, or we're creating this new regulatory body just for water. What's the first thing that you do? What are the biggest policy shifts or changes that could be made 
at the federal level, I mean, so much of your work is is about grassroots. But if you are to look at that, you know, from that that bird's eye view, what do you start to set in motion that's not happening right now? I I enact getting information from the ground up to me. You can't possibly come in thinking you know everything that's going on. Scale reporting. Absolutely. And even like to the map, we have no place where we can see where you are all at once. So I would begin scale reporting. It it boggles my mind. (laughs) We are either inept or the system's rigged. Neither is going to work. It's kind of both. and I think so. And we have to allow people to have part of that process and believe what they're reporting up to you. Now, there's enough going on in the EPA. So I was very uh, involved in um, paid in West Virginia. And an article just came out, and we really brought some attention to the matter. And at some level, finally, because of that pressure – the current administration heard, and they've now put them on a super fun list. Mm. So that means now they're going to get some response. Otherwise, they would have been ignored. So it, if I'm head of the EPA, I'm I'm putting in position how that community gets to us to to see. We often ignore uh-huh. what they're saying, and you can catch a water system quickly if you'll just listen to what the people are saying right so that would be one of the very first things that i would and do and then maybe the ability to dispatch like a like a epa swat team to go interface with the local government local community you create and, an epa right. army yeah. on the ground and you know we have water keepers and river keepers and they're the spotters that do just right. that but when they report back you have to act and you mm-hmm. have to be able to give them the tools they need to act. Is there any municipality in the United States that's doing a good job? Poughkeepsie is right now. Well, I mean, they at least address their problem. <laughs> you know, um, uh-huh. uh, Oregon of late has been showing a lot of issues um, that they draw from aquifers. So not everybody draws from aquifers. Um, depending on the time of the year, most of us get it from surface treatments sometimes we mix and you know we combine them but that's how we get these issues in um, Minnesota where it's in the groundwater and the groundwater fluctuates so depending on the time of the year whether we pull from it blend blend it with surface water there's a whole mechanism that goes on Mm. and so I rely my whole work is it's an army out there of people And they need to have a place to report. That's one of the first things that we need to do. And information gets lost because- Got to get that website back up. It Well, it's up for them to report, Mm. but we're building behind it. So a lot of data is coming in right now and it will be back there. It doesn't mean it's not going to exist. I am getting your information. And I too have to be very careful. This isn't about getting people's information and sharing their health problems. It's about numbers. Numbers are important. So if one's reporting and then 10 and then 50 and then 100, I now see you and I I know where I need to go. And we don't have that ability, even at the EPA, to see the big picture. We have 50,000 mines Mm -hmm. west of the U.S. that are ready to breach, just like in the Animas River. Mm. We need to see those with reporting 
This idea that's up here, you magically know what's going on, you're going to report down to us. You can learn a whole lot of information up there on the hill if you let the people report to you. So you can see, vet the information, isolate the problem, and begin. You can put ground troops to work. Right. What is you can uh, create a locally good economy, rebuilding right, an infrastructure. Right. I mean, that's the thing. You got to create some kind of economic incentive so that it feels like it's in everyone's interest to report, to move forward, and to try to you know and to and to you know recreate a healthier infrastructure. Absolutely. And if it's it just looked to... like a huge cost and a huge burden, and people are going to lose their jobs. Absolutely not. That is not what yeah. we want. We want it can create drugs. When I look at the map, blaming is going to do nothing. It initiates we are here this is the problem what is the solution there's great technology there's a a new technology coming out a mapping company and they're able to start reading the water uh like the weather so they're uh you remember the show twister and they put all Mm -hmm. the little sensors in there yeah yeah so they're dropping sensors way up by canada and watching them as they come all the way down to the gulf these sensors pick up changes like in the bin and all of a sudden, they see a big benzene reading. And they're like, what is that? Right. Well, coming around the bin is shell, oil. This isn't about shutting down shell. Nobody wants to do that. We all appreciate lights, air conditioning, heat, traveling, vacation, our cars, airplanes, going to Australia, all of it. But it doesn't have to be all or nothing. When we see you, we've identified a problem now what can the ground troops do to clean up a mess, create more jobs, create better technology, look at medically what's going on, find cures possibly? Oh, fathom that. But we clearly could. So the map when we can see you is a designation place for cleanup, for improvements, for jobs, for technology, putting it to use, applying those applications, looking at the health impacts looking at medicines or cures to make people better, that's a win-win. Right, early detection. Absolutely. It's not to shut down industry. None of us are asking that. You know, I talked the other day on the Green New Deal, and we talk about climate change. People, it's hard on climate change. You can't really see it or touch it. It's not tangible. And I think that when you say Green New Deal— the other side here is threat, everything that you and I are just talking about. We need to change our verbiage. How about we rebuild on what we have to make it more sustainable? It becomes less threatening. We have a problem. Mm. And it's not tear everything down. We have some technology here. How to rebuild on that to make us more sustainable and more safe and ways to have alarms on systems that will tell you what's happening, to put those sensors in the water, to be able to identify these. There's this idea that there's no money to be made in the solution and nothing could be further from the truth. Right. And we need to begin to implement that. And we'll never get there if we don't see the big picture and say, we have a problem. Mm -hmm. Now, how are we going to fix it? And start doing that. And all of us taking ownership of that problem and that solution and shoulder the responsibility of participating in that kind of change. We're going to have to, and yeah. I think it's here. <laughs> I, 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 think, I think we're yeah. off to a rough start, It's more than here. I have to imagine you have some kind of crazy 
water setup at your house? Like, <laughs> do you have insane filters? Like, after everything that you know, what's your relationship to your own intake of water? A reverse osmosis, we talk about yeah. that. And you have to know your water first to know what kind of filtration you need. Not one filtration, other, there's some new technology out there, but reverse osmosis has historically and currently been the best way to remove multiple types of chemicals at low levels out of your water. So if you have PFOS and you go buy any certain filter to reduce chlorination, it's not going to get out right. the PFOS. the Breta filter or whatever. Right. Yeah. And so if you have Chrome 6, you need more of like a coconut shell filtration. If you have... Um, PFOS, you need more of a granular activated carbon. If you have a solvent, you need different resins. So that's why reverse osmosis is the best. And many people have mm -hmm. that. In Texas, one of the congressmen is looking at very large rebates for families that put reverse osmosis systems on their whole house. Um, it's one sure way as the municipalities are getting rebuilt and re whatever we need to do at that particular facility – it provides you a level of protection at your tap, and they will do large rebates. So that's very interesting. There are things that we can do at the consumer level to get those types of filtrations at the home. Mm. You can get reverse osmosis uh, sink mount on your home, and there are some countertop right. reverse osmosis systems you can use. But you have to know your water to answer these questions, and that's one thing I think we need to understand we're the ones that are going to have to gather the information, find your facts, and um, find out for yourself. Yeah. And we oftentimes don't do that. We will when we realize no one's got our ass, but we're going to have our own. Superman's not coming. I know it seems daunting, but I actually find it quite exciting. Because, you know, honestly, um, find out. Be prepared. There's things that you can do where you can get involved. And... Um, Water is something that I just think we've taken for granted mm. and we can't anymore. So we, the people, we have to take accountability and ownership ourselves. 100%. I think that's a great place to end it, but I do have to ask you one more thing. Sure. I would be remiss in not asking you what your thoughts are on bottled water. So many of us are drinking bottled water and single-use plastics what is your understanding of how these plastics not just impact the environment, but are impacting the water that we drink? Are there some that are better than others? Should we just avoid that? Where's your head with all of that? You're reading my mind because before, you know, yeah, sometimes you get going way over here. You have to pull me back because I was going to say mm. about bottled water. Um, I'm like anyone else. I travel a lot and there are times I need bottled water. I always look for bottled water in glass. glass. Um, is so much more easily recyclable. Water's like a placebo, um, and you may need it on the run. And most bottled water is just reverse osmosis. And the plastics is a huge problem. So I do need bottled water. I will search for glass. Um, when you're traveling, you can't bring your own in anymore. Mm -hmm. I use glass in my car, my like, own mason jar. If I'm in another country, and this is, we talk about that logic, leverage, that logic is your common sense. And I've been in many countries where I'm like, you, I'm not drinking that. I can assure you, you will not die drinking beer 
as your water or brushing your teeth in uh-huh. it and definitely not showering. Depending where you are, um, there may be times you need bottled water, but we're, bottled water is going to become a, a big issue if we continue to have all these aquifers that are contaminated and we don't clean them up. Yeah. So it's a, it's a luxury. It's a little bit of a placebo uh, it's a convenience, and the plastics are a huge problem. We just did a thing, by the way, on um, jeans. Mm. And uh, every time you wash your jeans, 56,000 microfibers fall off, and that's falling out into the ocean and creating other issues. So I think we have to really go back and look at certain things and how we, in this modern society, um, are contributing to a failing environment and become more conscientious. Yeah. Bottled water is going to be there. It is a necessity. Listen, we, right here, if we have major earthquakes, like down after the hurricanes, um, the last one in Louisiana, they're looking at three to six weeks. So bottled water is going to be a necessity to some degree. But I think how we store it um, and the plastics is an issue. Yeah, there's a difference between having it available as a necessity versus it being a daily convenience. And we go to plastics, why? Cheap. Mm-hmm. Cheaper to ship. And I think you say Cheap. in your Glass book, is more expensive. something like 97% of the water that you tested had like microplastic fibers Absolutely. in it. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, again, cheap. everything we've talked about how we end up in this way because somebody hides something and somebody's going to go cheat because somebody doesn't want to do it on the upfront the right way infrastructure safety people first if you Mm -hmm. just did that we wouldn't have half the problems that we're dealing with now and so the plastics became cheap Mm. and i know they're working on different plastics but that doesn't change the fact that this went on for years and years and years and years and people polluting and all those plastics going down the drain and out into the sewer and right. th- when stuff gets in the sewer, don't think that it doesn't, you know. Just disappears. It's gone, Aaron. Right. See, so there we <laughs> go again. And, and another thing that's beautiful about the, the map, we're visual. If we can see it, we're like, oh, wow. Right. We, as a consumer, cannot take anything for granted anymore. And I do believe that we, the people, have an absolute obligation to ourselves and to our family and to our communities to make it our job to find out and be informed. Um, there's no reason why you shouldn't be and to act and to find your own courage and not be afraid to step up and um, get involved. Mm, because Superman is not coming. No, but tag yeah. it. You're here. We're <laughs> it. <laughs> Powerful Aaron Brockovich in the house. Thank you so much. I do want to share with you. It's great to have this conversation because, you know, when I go to parties and people ask me about water and it turns into this conversation, I'm telling you, I know what they say when I leave. They're like, oh, my God, don't invite her again. Are you kidding? People are going to freak out. They're going to love this. it's, I know it's overwhelming. I feel it, too. But we talk about it come back and we could talk for two hours just about PFAS. Absolutely. But you know what? I will share with this. My program ram, realize, assess, and motivate. It's all about oneself. Realize who you are, assess who you are. And, you know, look, oftentimes we look for a hero. And the only person standing in your own way of being that hero is, frankly, you. And we all get that little negative voice in our head that tells us, do this, don't do that. You know, realize that you can 
have that strength and courage, you can find it. Assess. Don't assess your bank account. Just assess who you are. What's your character? What's your loyalty? What's your respect? What's your cause? What's your passion? And and what I wanted to say here is we do live in a crazy world. I'm thinking my head's going to spin off. I really do. And it's just going faster and faster and faster and faster. And what's happening for us as people, we're losing our mojo. And we've lost our motivation. And we are frankly exhausted. And what you need to do when you hit that wall, and you will as you move mm. into whatever your causes are, and it may not be water, you got to know how to fight and you got to have the tools. One of the tools that you have to do is self-renewal. We're all on our computers, right? And when a bunch of data comes in or an overload, what do you get? The blue dot just spins and spins. That thing really irritates me. That happens to us. That's when you need to disconnect. You must do it. And get back to a walk on the beach. Get back to a hike. Get outside and plant begonias. Go play a round of golf. Disconnect and reconnect to yourself. It's amazing when you do that you can hear yourself think. You can feel yourself feel. You can take a moment to breathe and get clarity. And when you do that self-renewal, you'll find yourself waking up the next day with some motivation and energy to go at it again. Such an important point. You know, we're in a moment right now where we're just being inundated with so many crises and it's so easy to just get overloaded and to hear you download everything you just did about water. It's like, Jesus, you know, we're in a, we got this crazy political cycle right now. We have social upheaval. We have COVID. We have all of these things. And like, now I got to worry about this too. And you're, you're asking me to get involved with this. Like I'm maxed out. COVID gave us a hard stop. Take a breath. Um, Reconnect. And if that's sitting in your backyard, reading a book, taking a nap, um, I, I think it's helping. It's not helping. I think it's really put us in a place that it was, it, the computer crashed. And I've said that before. Um, and when it does, it can be hard to reboot. Yeah. But there's things that you can do as you reboot. And one of the things you have to remember is yourself. And I need you to forgive yourself. None of us are perfect. You know what I tell people every time when I give a lecture? I'm like, if you only knew how fucked up I was, you probably wouldn't show up. And they're like, that's why we're here. (laughs) Because we all have issues. Uh Ease up on yourself. Take a breath. Be thankful uh, for your child, your health, your grandchild, because there is so much going on. But but look to you, hear you. um, Forgive yourself for your shortcomings. We all have them. But you know what? Get back in the game tomorrow. Don't quit. Don't give up. And allow yourself to be flawed um, and let your vulnerability shine. I've actually learned that my disability and my vulnerabilities actually became my strength and my gifts. Mm -hmm. If I just stopped long enough to, I don't know, say to myself one day, hey, you know what? You're okay. See, we did it. We went from apocalyptic and we landed at hopeful. Absolutely. Because change is opportunity in disguise. Absolutely. (laughs) Got that off my website. I did. I completely stole that from you. Um, Thank you. I use it all day long. I don't own it. I love it. I appreciate you. Keep doing what you're doing. 
we need you in this world, and I appreciate all the Thank work you that you're so doing. Thank you so much. And um, I, I'm honestly, if I coughed, I don't have COVID. I just tested again because I'm getting ready the other to. Day. Well, I have a TV show coming called Rebel. Oh, you do? Well, I, I was going to mention you've got a podcast that's about to launch, right? Has it launched it's, already? Yeah, or? the third show's out mm. today. Oh, Superman's cool. not coming. Mm-hmm. And we're just getting ready to do the pilot. It's a legal drama Rebel. series inspired by your friend here. Um, Katie Seagal is playing oh, really? Rebel. Get the hell out of here. Yeah. I know Katie. Uh, well, her husband's a good, very good friend of mine. Well, that's really yeah. cool. So that she's going to play Rebel. And Andy Garcia was signed to play the attorney. No way. Isn't that cool? So it's a narrative. It is a legal drama. Legal series. drama. Yeah, written by Christopher Vernoff. Wow. ABC. Now, Christopher Vernoff's a Susanna Grant. Uh-huh. So she's been the head writer for Grey's Anatomy uh-huh. and a lot of stuff. So... Um, so that's we moving start forward. On that, yeah. So, like, is it a, a series order already or pilot? They're pretty sure it'll be series. It's pilot. Uh-huh. We're the, so you're about I, to I know we're pilot. shooting to pilot because I just had right. to sign all the paperwork. So I'm one of the executive producers. <laughs> Amazing. So pilot, and we'll keep our fingers crossed. I know you know you know how Hollywood is. No, I know. But I know. I, everyone seems to be pretty confident. That's um, pretty cool. So ABC during COVID got rid of all their pilot um, mm. series except two. And mm, we were one. That was one. David E. Kelly was the other. Wow. So that's a good sign. Very cool. But I love Katie Seagal. She's the best. It used to be a running joke. My nickname was Peg Bundy. Mm. <laughs> so I used to run around in stilettos. Your life is crazy. <laughs> that is so crazy. It just keeps getting weirder, right? It really does. But you know what? I, I never go there. It's... It's a calling. It's a message Uh for every one of us. I don't know. Um, The universe, the energy, the expansion, it's just happening. It's here. Unbelievable. All right. Well, come back and talk to me when the show show premieres. Oh, absolutely. You and Katie in here together. Be good. Is she the best or what? Unbelievable. That was amazing. Heavy. Yes, but incredible. I hope it empowered you to take action. Think a little bit more deeply about things like water that we take for granted, find a cause, do something. And to put that altruistic inclination to work, please check out the show notes on the episode page where you'll find links to the climate groups discussed today, as well as many other resources to expand your knowledge base on all things Brockovich, water, and the environment. Of course, check out Aaron's new book, Superman's Not Coming, and you can queue up her new podcast by the same name, Superman's Not Coming with Aaron Brockovich, wherever you listen to podcasts. Finally, congrats to Aaron, as it was just announced that ABC has given a 10-episode straight-to-series order to Rebel, which is a TV drama inspired by Aaron's life that will star Katie Seagal, as you heard us discussed in today's podcast, coming to small screens in 2021. You can give Aaron a shout out on Twitter at Aaron Brockovich or on Instagram at the underscore real underscore Aaron underscore Brockovich. We also got another roll on AMA coming up in the forthcoming weeks. Give me a call at 424-235-4626. Leave me a message with your questions. Super excited and honored to answer them. If you'd like to support our work here on the show, subscribe, rate, and comment on it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Share the show or your favorite episodes with friends or on social media. And you can support us on Patreon at richroll.com slash donate. 
Thank you to everybody who helped produce today's show. Jason Camiolo for audio engineering, production, show notes, and interstitial music. Blake Curtis for videoing and editing today's show for YouTube. Jessica Miranda for graphics. Davey Greenberg for portraits. DK for advertiser relationships and theme music, as always, by Tyler, Trapper, and Harry. Thanks for the love, you guys. See you back here next week with another amazing episode. Until then, drink clean water. Get active because Superman is not coming. Peace. Plants. Namaste. Yay!